Chapter 22 The morning was cold and bright, pavements crisp with frost. The weather forecast on the radio said it would be dry and clear today, and for the next few days. After a late breakfast of buttery toast, James put his warmest coat on, pulled on his rucksack and headed out to Preston Park. It was nearly eleven o'clock when he cut across the cycle track. He had plenty of time to drop the girdle picks off with Hegel and make it across town to Hove Lawns by two o'clock for the choir event. And he might even have time for a quick stop at the sausage roll shop for lunch, and maybe even some chocolate fudge. The once muddy shortcut after the cycle track was frozen solid now and not slippery at all. There was no frost on the elms though, and James felt the air warm up as he squeezed through the gap in the uninjured elm. Hegel had a kettle on in the chamber and poured James a cup of mint tea. James told the hedgehog the story of Asma's rescue and the battle with the foxes. "'You showed those vandals!' Hegel said when he heard about the effect of Tabasco on the Rover clan. "'What happened between you and Chimera in the rockery?' James asked. "'I knocked the first fox into the pond, but then they rushed me and threw me in, and they know hedgehogs can't swim. They never fight fair.' "'How did you get out?' "'Well, luckily Henry was still about, and he gave me a ride. "'That water was cold, though.' "'The hedgehog shuddered with the thought, and it gave James goosebumps too. "'He took a sip of hot tea to banish the memory. "'Talking of Henry,' James began, "'can I leave the girdle picks with you to put back in the rockery?' "'Not yet, I'm afraid,' Hegel said. "'The sentinelms are still focused on the girl.' The rockery isn't safe yet. If we can get the girl to visit again, that would help. James had wanted to get rid of the powerful stone, but figured that they could get Asma along to visit the Sentinelms after the choir event. It wouldn't be too annoying having the girdle picks around for a few more hours. He said goodbye to the hedgehog, and that hopefully he'd see him later on that day. Half an hour later... James had an award-winning, freshly-baked sausage roll in his hand. It was too hot to eat, so he nibbled at the flaky pastry. He had two choices in his mind. One of them involved chocolate fudge, and the other involved walking up the hill to Seven Dials. His curiosity got the better of him, and he decided to see if he could find the Empress of the Seven Dials and ask if she'd found Chimera. He also remembered that there was a nice café on one of the dials that did a delicious hot chocolate. The sun was high enough when he reached the top of the hill that the frost on the ground had gone. James didn't know for sure where he'd find the Empress, but he assumed she would be around one of the dials. Seven Dials was just a large roundabout. The dials were the roads that fed the roundabout. James finished his sausage roll and arrived via the dial from Brighton Station, and then went around them in clockwise fashion. The first four dials were busy roads, and there were no cats in sight. But the fifth clockwise dial from the station was a smaller, dirtier dial that led between a laundrette and the nice café. A little way down on the right-hand side, James spotted a furry tail, he walked toward it and found it was attached to a large black cat which was sitting in front of a wooden gate. "'Excuse me,' James said. 
is the Empress about?' The cat pushed the wooden gate open with its paw and gestured inside. On the other side of the gate was a small car park. A large, expensive black car with a long bonnet was parked in the middle, and in the middle of the bonnet, sprawled out sunning herself, was the Empress of the Seven Dials. She opened her mouth with a wide yawn, showing her wickedly sharp teeth, and stretched out her front paws on the smooth, glossy, black paint. "'You again,' she said. "'Don't you have better things to do?' James thought of eating chocolate fudge. "'Did you find Camira yesterday?' he asked. The cat licked a foreleg before answering. "'Unfortunately, I did not have the pleasure,' she said. There was something about her voice that James found unsettling. Last year, the Empress had worked against the Green Hand's gang, and he couldn't help but distrust the well-groomed cat. But then, the king under the fort had asked him to speak to her. Okay, James said. He had hoped that she'd have news of Chimera being chased out of Sussex. Did the crows come and speak to you about helping them with the foxes and the magpies? Crows, the Empress said. I would much rather do business with foxes than birds. James would have to tell the old badger that the Empress wasn't as useful as he'd thought. But for now, he just wanted to leave. Besides, it was time to head down to Hove Lawns for the choir event. He turned to leave, and the door he came through was closed. He noticed that behind it was a big green wheelie bin, and scattered all around the bin were feathers black feathers. James wanted to get away from the cat and ran to the door. He pulled the metal handle. It was locked. There must be another way out, as the gate was too small for cars. He turned and noticed that the Empress had gone from the bonnet. The main entrance was on the other side of the shiny black car. There was a patter of padded feet, and then, from behind the car, Chimera appeared. James was trapped. The fox looked wild and ragged, orange Tabasco stained the white areas of her fur. "'Surprised to see me, boy,' she said. "'Well, I'm pleased to see you again. Think that sending cats after us would work. Are you a fool?' She let the question hang in the air. "'We're no town foxes. That cat cut a deal to save her furry friends. And now I want the stone.' James pulled his rucksack round in front of him, as much as a defensive move as anything else. "'No funny business,' Chimera said, walking slowly from side to side. "'The rest of my clan were too scared to confront you, but I'm not. I know exactly how to get the—' With no warning, the fox pounced. She would have mauled James's face if he hadn't been ready. He pushed the rucksack up, and Chimera's jaws slashed at the front, ripping a big hole. James shoved the bag at the fox, knocking her to the side. "'Not bad,' she said, spitting a patch of torn fabric onto the asphalt. "'For a human!' she pounced again, and this time James dodged to the side, but the fox expected his manoeuvre and snapped at the rucksack strap, dragging the bag from his front. The bag hit the ground, and James snatched it back to his chest, but its contents spilled onto the car park, including the waterproof bag with the girdle picks inside. James went to drag it back with his foot, but Chimera was too quick. 
She snapped the top of the bag and yanked it to the side. It skidded under the car. And now I'll finish you off, the fox said, her eyes fixed on James. I'll take the stone and I'll take your life. She pounced a third time and slashed the bag with her teeth again and knocked James backwards toward the bin. He held the tattered remains of his bag and knew he couldn't hold the fox off much longer. His hand searched the bag for something he could use, anything that could help keep the fox away. Right at the bottom, he felt something long and thin. Something that had been in his bag since the start of the adventure and he'd forgotten about. He didn't have time to plan as Chimera leapt again, her powerful hind legs propelled her into his chest. Without thinking, James pulled Hegel's pike from the bottom of his bag, leaving his left arm exposed, and thrust the pike towards the fox. As the metal end pushed deep into Chimera's flesh, her jaws clamped round his left arm. They both screamed, and Chimera let go immediately, and she tumbled down in front of him. James's arm felt like it was on fire, but he managed to give the fox a kick as he stumbled backward and leaned on the gate. Chimera howled with pain, the pike sticking out of the top of one of her front legs. She managed to hobble away, past the black car. James slid down the wooden gate and sat holding his injured arm tightly against his chest. The pain was bad and tears ran down his cheeks. He didn't want to look at what the fox had done, but he knew he had to. First he wiggled the fingers of his left hand. A hot pain shot up his arm, but all of his fingers could move. Then he raised his left arm and saw that his coat was shredded. There wasn't any blood dripping out, though, so that was a good sign. He'd need to take his coat off to check it properly. He stood up and felt a gentle breeze blow cold against his damp cheek, and a shadow fell across the little car park as Cloud moved in front of the sun. Without taking his coat off, he moved over to the black car and bent down. More dark clouds swept in front of the sun as the wind picked up. But James wasn't crying any more. He was running, as fast as he could, toward the crow's nest, the I-360. By the rear bumper of the car, the waterproof bag lay torn open on a wet patch of ground. It was completely empty. The girdle picks was gone.